the true story of seven strangers <laughs> picked to live in a house, work together, and have their lives taped. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. The real world. We are here joined today by someone from the granddaddy of reality TV, the original real world New York, Mr. Eric Mead. How are you? Hello. I'm great. How are you? Are you so sick of hearing that phrase? Never. Do people, now when people see you in real life, is that what they say to you the most? I mean, do they just want to repeat that to you? No, nobody actually does that. (laughs) Well, I I appreciate you entertaining my desire to repeat that. So how are you doing today? I'm doing really good. I'm feeling feeling really happy, really healthy. That's good. Um, mm -hmm. What have you, so where, where are you now? Are you in Colorado or am I just making that up? No, you're making that up. I'm in Los Angeles. (laughs) I'm in Laurel Canyon. Oh, wow. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's where you live. Um, I live in Hollywood right now. I've been on quite a journey. Um, you have for the last 28 years, um, that has taken me, you know, all around the world. And I have spent a lot of time, um, looking at myself and, and on a very, uh, empowering, transformative, uh, journey to healing and self-awareness. And so I've spent a lot of time with elders and grandmothers and grandfathers and shamans and masters, and I've done a ton of research, uh, in all these different areas of our lives um, this beautiful little blue planet that we live on. Uh, so I have definitely have a different uh, perspective um, based off of my own personal experiences and wisdom that's been shared with me by very uh, humble, um, compassionate and loving beings that are in service to all of humanity and God's creation. Uh, so yeah. I just, I feel like I have a a different perspective on, on what's happening right now in the world than, than most, but I say that humbly, obviously. We're going to get, so we're going to go full circle and get, I mean, that's a good place to start and we're going to get back to how you got there. Okay. Because I have a lot of questions. We are going to talk about (laughs) current day, I promise. But no, I mean, that's all very interesting. Like I really, I, I agree with a lot of that. So mm-hmm. let's take it way back, though, to the beginning. So okay. you are from, I'm, I'm in New York City, so you are from New Jersey, from Ocean Township, New Jersey. Yeah. Nice Jersey boy. I like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> so let's go all the way back to the 90s before, I mean, how, how did you come about to be on The Real World? Like, how does that casting take place? Oh, my God. Like, probably. Taking you back. I mean, my whole life has been really ex- exciting and fun, but that time in my life in the early 90s, being 19, 20, 21 years old, in New York City, in the clubs, um, you know, just everything that New York City has to offer back in the early 90s was incredible um, and so much fun. And, you know, being a model in New York City and just getting into that world, um, you know, being able to get into, you know, the hottest clubs in New York meant a lot when you were 20 years old. Totally. Um, So, 
yeah, it was incredibly exciting and, and a ton of fun um, and really magical on so many different levels. And then, obviously, when the real world happened, it just took all of that and magnified it by a hundred times. I mean, did you apply to a casting call or did someone just tap you on the shoulder and say, hey? Yeah, no, I was with, um, I was with Click Modeling Agency at the time and the, <laughs> the production was looking for a model or, you know, a guy who was a model looking to get into acting. So I was casted as that personality. Interesting. And did you have like any, I mean, at that point there was no reality TV at all. I mean, just to give like, cause I in doing some research, like I, the years always seem off to me, but then when I did research, like just to give everyone a point of reference, like the Hills is 2006, the Osbournes, which seems like has been around forever is 2002 survivor, which I can't imagine life without survivor is 2000. This was 1992. (laughs) So like there was no, this was the first reality show ever. Yeah. Yeah. I am, I am, um, some people call me the godfather of reality television. (laughs) Um, other people in the industry look to me as an elder in, in the industry, but yeah, definitely showing my age, which I love. And, um, we were the first. And we were the guinea pigs, and we basically um, sent out a tsunami um, a cr- a through the entertainment world, and you know we're responsible for creating a whole new genre of television for us to enjoy. Yeah, I mean there would be no Bravo, there would be nothing today if it wasn't for this first season of New York, The Real World. Yeah. Did did you have like any reservations like having, I mean, did you like have any idea of what you were getting into? Like, how was it explained to you, the concept? No, they didn't really tell us anything. I mean, I had a little bit of an idea because when we went in for the casting, the first, the first two or three castings were just regular castings where you go in and you talk to somebody, they take a photo of you. Um, But then as we went later on, then we were in a room with a camera with all the producers at a table and the cameras like walking around the room to see how we would react with the camera in our face. So then I was like, okay, this is interesting. I've never been in a situation like this before. Um, And they didn't really tell us anything. They just said, you're going to be with six other people and you're going to live in this place. They didn't tell us anything. We're going to live in this place with them. And we're just going to film you doing what you normally do in your life and they said how how do you feel about that i was like that sounds awesome and it's going to be on mtv and they were like yeah i was like cool because mtv you know in 1992 was everything it's like that was like our um like barometer for cult you know cultural society yeah like when you were when i was 19 20 years old i mean that's where i learned how to dance was like watching videos um and yeah it was it was amazing really i mean amazing. were you like because at that point mtv was all videos you know madonna prince michael jet were you like what do you mean there's this is going to be on mtv that's like the music channel yeah yeah it didn't make any sense until um i think it was probably maybe three or four more days until we were finished and they came in and they said okay you're gonna do a bunch of press 
for the show. And then all of a sudden, all these different publications started coming in and there was interviews happening. And when, for me, when the Wall Street Journal came in to interview us, I knew that we had done something pretty incredible. And I was in for the ride of my life. Yeah. Like, were you, because I mean, at that point, you know, the thing is, like, if you get cast for a reality TV show today, everyone says they don't know what they're doing. I'm like, you, you, you know what you're doing. Like, you watch, mm-hmm. it, you're like too conscious of it almost. I mean, at that yeah. point, like, when you were in the house with the cameras, like, did you, I mean, they were there, but like, were you, is it true you just, the cameras, you just forgot they were there? Like, were you just really in your element? Well, let's just say, <clears throat> David, there were no masks that were on. You, that show and who we were was <clears throat> the most authentic production maybe in television history. It didn't get any more authentic than that because we had no reference, like you said. Right. So we were just there going along for the ride, doing whatever it is that we do. That was it. It was just, you know, six of us, seven of us living in a loft and there just happened to be, you know, a cameraman there and some guy coming to check our, our audio once in a while to make sure that our batteries were still working. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the thing. Like, unlike today, like you couldn't be self-aware because there was nothing to compare it to. Yeah, exactly. Did you got, was there any like during it, like trepidation, like with you or like the other people, like, oh my God, like this is going to be on TV. Like as things happened, you know, you guys had some pretty, you know, worldly discussions at the time, for that yeah. time. No, not at all. None of us, let, I mean, we, it was like walking into the valley of the darkness. We have no, we had no idea what we were getting into or what it even was, you know, they're like, there just wasn't anything, you know, to, to look at. There was nothing to experience or feel or see that happened before this, you know? So yeah, there was nothing there. So we were just who we were. And then during it, well, even the way, well, first of all, I don't even know if you know this, this has nothing to do with us sitting down today, but do you know, I mean, literally I'm shocked. Do you know that today on MTV, I don't know if it's every Friday, but they're doing this. <laughs> do you know this? They're doing a flashback Friday and the real world is on with you today. I, I know. I was going to ask you if you knew that that was happening and I didn't even know it was happening. I just started getting, you know, Instagram messages and Facebook stuff and, and there was clips of the show that were popping up on uh, on IG. So, yeah, I, I but what I did know, because um, I got a call about a month, a month ago, maybe two months ago, is that there's a network called Pluto TV. Huh. It's called Pluto or anyway. Interesting. Um, Plu- yeah, Pluto um, is airing all of the episodes of The Real World. And they contacted us and let us know that they were doing it because they wanted to do maybe like a podcast or an interview with everybody, but it never happened. So, Interesting. yeah, it's so weird. I mean, it's like this will be forever. Uh, I don't want to say haunting because then that would imply that maybe it was like a little negative because it's all been positive. But it has. It's been an incredible blessing that just keeps on blessing over and over and over again. It just keeps on popping up. Do you get like walking down the street? Like, do you get still recognized from that time? 
Yeah, sometimes I do, but it's it's obviously nothing like what it was like back then. And then like today you said like DMs, like is this from like people you know or like strangers are now like, oh my God, like a whole new generation is like you're on TV right now? Yeah, well, yeah, strangers because I my, my, my account's not private and I basically allow, you know, anybody and whoever to, yeah. to friend and yeah, I'm very open like that. And no, I had no idea of this. It just last night I was recording Jersey Shore and uh-huh. I just a commercial came on and I was like, this is tomorrow. Like, that's so strange. That's really cool. <laughs> and then I started watching like a little bit of it. And I was like, just the way it was shot, even like it was shot. It wasn't even it's not high production. Like, it's really what mm-hmm. a reality show should be. It's like, yeah, maybe they'll bring us back. Maybe we'll do like, you know, 30 years later, they'll put the seven of us back in a room and see what happens. That would when be we are, when it'll see, let's see what happens when we are polite. <laughs> Seriously. Do you keep in touch? Like, did you, I mean, do you keep in touch with any of those folks? Yeah. Yeah. They're, um, For all Kevin of them? actually went, yeah. Well, when the coronavirus thing happened, Kevin started a thread with everybody. And so wow. everybody was checking in. Yeah. I would say, you know, Norman and Julie and Heather um, are always in contact with each other from what I understand. And I, I know I, I saw Norman not too long ago. We went and had lunch and, you know, I talked to Kevin and, and Julie. So yeah, we're all still, we're all still connected to each other. Wow. That's great. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Do they all live in New York or they're just all, I mean, LA, New York. I think Heather lives in New York, doesn't she? Or am I just making that up? Yeah, she's on the East Coast um, and Kevin's on the East Coast. I think there's a few of us on the West Coast. Yeah. Interesting. So after the Wall Street Journal and you're like, oh, this is going to be big. So then when you were filming, you said it was natural. You never felt like producers were trying to manipulate it. Like there was no like store, like was there like, you know, go and say that again to Julie or, you know, were you conscious of like, oh, I'm the hot guy. Julie's the, the ingenue, the quiet girl. It was none of that. Like, it was just nothing, like- <clears throat> nothing scripted, you know, nothing pre-produced. Um, what they what did happen was about, I want to say maybe six weeks into it, um, because we were all pretty young and we were all, most of us were from the East Coast. So we all had friends and we all had apartments that were close by or homes. Um, right. And so we would just go off and do whatever it is that we wanted to do. And we weren't hanging out with each other. And they finally said, you know, look, you guys have to like have dinner together. We need to, we need shots of you spending time together. And so they made that kind of mandatory. Um, and then they think there was a lull in the house and there wasn't much excitement going on. And then, and then they said, Oh, we, we, we need to make some things happen here. And that's when my, this book that I shot a long time ago, (laughs) just mysteriously showed up on the coffee table in the house and I didn't put it there. Um, but I understood why. So and that book was when, was that when you did the modeling with your brother? Or was that that book? Yeah, Bear, Bear Pond with Bruce Weber. Yeah, which, I mean, that's a pretty big deal to shoot with Bruce Weber. Yeah, I mean, that's what launched my career, was working with Bruce. Wow. Yeah. 
That's, and so, I mean, that's amazing. And so then when the show, you know, the Wall Street Journal comes in, press, when the show came out, how was that? Like when you now are sitting there and watching it back, were you like, wait, that was a strange edit? Or were you like, no, this is pretty much exactly how I remember it? Well, what's interesting is it would change my life forever in the way that, um, you know, I'm sitting in my home with my family and my friends and I'm watching myself on TV and I didn't necessarily like everything that I saw about myself. So that was like my first real like spiritual experience with myself. Um, and that would have a profound impact on me and would, and would redirect my, my, my journey in a big way. Massive way. From watching yourself back and kind of like saying like, these are things I don't like about myself. Yeah. Yeah. And what about the rest of it? I mean, so now was it like instant? Like I now walk down the street of New York and I'm being mobbed by a million people. Oh my God. The real world came out and it was probably two weeks. I think it was this after the second episode, I got a phone call from, from MTV and they said that they wanted, they were interested in me coming in and auditioning for another show. And at the time, um, they, it, it was for um, Club MTV. So Club MTV, right. was, Julie, Julie Brown was leaving and they were looking for a new host for Club MTV. And I went in and I auditioned and they actually chose me. And then we were looking for a nut for a girl because they wanted to have two hosts. So I'm up at the MTV offices doing auditions with all these different girls that were coming in as hosts of club MTV. And then they canceled club MTV. So I was like, that was a bummer because club MTV was my favorite show that I, I mean, it was like an incredible dream, like coming true because that, was like the ultimate <laughs> to be on club MTV. So, um, so they canceled it. And then there was, I think there was like maybe like a couple of weeks or a few weeks. And, and then they called me back and they said, well, we're going to create a, we're going to do a dance show, but it's going to be a half hour block of a three hour block of um, called hanging with MTV. So there were six shows within this three hour block and, Hanging with MTV's dance show was a half hour within that three hours. And I got hired for that. Um, and that did really well in like a month's time. And then they said, oh, we're going to create The Grind. And so they changed the name to The Grind. And then when that happened, that's when things went bananas. I and didn't I even know. Walk. Yeah. You couldn't even I walk couldn't down walk the down the street. I couldn't even go into a mall like going into a mall was was really intense because it was a sea of people like following you like through the mall wow yep and this was before social media or cell phones or anything like that yep yep but yeah you just couldn't walk into a mall yeah if that was to happen now if that, if that, if it was 20, whatever, how many years ago that was, and like I, and, and then I was 21 and the grind came out, this is what blows my mind. I have no idea. I don't know what executives are thinking, 
I have no idea how it's not even possible that there isn't a dance show on television of 250 young, beautiful kids, you know, dancing to videos. Like, how is that not yeah. on TV? Who doesn't want to watch healthy, sexy people dancing to music that we love? Well, maybe you and I should produce this show. Because, I mean, now you've got me saying, like... It's crazy. Right. Every dance show that's ever come out has been really successful. Right. Well, like, American Bandstand was a huge hit. Yep. All of them. Solid Gold, huge hit. Oh, yeah. Club MTV, huge hit. The Grind, huge hit. Yeah. The Grind was... And so you you got The Grind that soon? Like, I didn't realize it was only two weeks into like they contact you two weeks after yeah it happened wow. really fast really fast like within a month yeah so were you just like well wow you know to just do this thing that no one had ever heard of other than the fact that you were excited that it was on the biggest network at that time mtv that must, yeah. you must have been like you know because in a way you were you are you were the breakout star i mean you are kind of the breakout star of that season of the real world like you had a career after it Yep. Uh-huh. Were you guys paid anything to be on The Real World? No. Like, ze- like literally Very zero? little. Okay. Like, I mean, well, I mean, it might as well have been zero. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I assumed. I mean, those were different times. I mean, even now, you're not paid a ton, but you're paid something to be on your first year of reality TV. Yeah. So you said yes to the grind and then you couldn't walk into malls and then were you just, that's when you probably started seeing money, right? I imagine. Yep. Yeah. Commercials, campaigns, things like that. Yeah. And then were your other roommates, was there jealousy? Was there the like, why is he the one getting a career out of this? No, they were incredibly supportive. Everybody's amazing in the whole cast. Like, really amazing people. Big hearts. Yeah, really humble, loving, caring. And it's always been like that from the very beginning. That's good. And Mm -hmm. then, so when the grind was on, I mean, we don't have these numbers anymore in television, but 90 million people on average would watch this MTV hour. So... I mean, that just doesn't exist with those numbers anymore. So, I mean, you're making money. So, like, were you just like a kid in a candy store? Like, money, (laughs) girls, living in New York, you're young. Yeah, I was a destructive kid in a candy store because I was using and, you know, partying and in clubs, drinking, taking ecstasy, smoking weed, doing coke, eating mushrooms, acid you know, whatever it was. Um, and all my friends were with me and I could travel and go wherever I wanted to around the world and get into any club or any restaurant. Most of the times it was free. Um, and yeah, it was wild. Nobody wild. said no. Nobody, Nobody said, said no. Nobody said no. Nobody said no. We were on the yes train. It's like that movie that Jim Carrey did. I think it was called Yes Man or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was like. That's what I would imagine. Yeah, and and if somebody did say no, then they weren't coming along for the ride. They got off the train. 
Right. And if one club said no or something, you would go across the street and they would say yes. But I imagine most clubs and restaurants. They didn't say no. And we did whatever we wanted. I mean, it, you know, I, I, I say this obviously, you know, humbling, but humbly, but we, we felt like at that, when you're at, when you're at a place like that in your life, at that young age, and you have that much attention and access, um, you feel like you're invincible. You feel like you can do whatever you want, wherever you want, and there are no rules. And I've always been that way my whole life. I don't like rules. I, I don't like structure and rules. I'm, I'm like the eagle with the wings spread out wide and just flying you know, through life. So um, that was amazing for me because I really got to spread my wings and really do whatever I wanted to do. Um, but it was a huge learning experience for me. Um, cause like I said, that would send me into my spiritual journey of healing and transformation that I never in a million years, you know, thought that what would happen later would actually happen. So right. yeah, it's all an incredible blessing. Right. And I mean, I imagine at that, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I imagine at that time you weren't humble. I mean, it was kind of like, do you like, did you believe the hype? Like I'm the shit? Yeah. Well, there's two sides of me. I'm a Gemini. And so, me too. And I, yeah. So there's like, you know, we have like double personalities, but my soul is like multiple, multiple dimensional personalities. Um, and yeah, I had a big ego. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. This summer, the world must answer one question. Why has no one made a popsicle that gets you high yet? That's right, it's summer, and it's time for you to get your hands on America's new favorite product, Danksicles. 20 milligrams of THC in two great flavors, the latest and greatest innovation from IndiCloud. Is IndiCloud the greatest company to come out of America? Maybe. But what we do know for sure is that IndiCloud is the best way to get dispensary-grade cannabis delivered directly to your door, 100% legally. Yes, they ship legally to all states. No medical card needed. Whether it's vapes as big as your head, flowers you won't find in your mom's garden, or of course, popsicles that get you high as What are you waiting for? Go to indicloudco slash spring24 and get discreet delivery on top-shelf THC products. Head over to indicloud.co slash spring24. That's co, not com, to snag 30% off your first order. Rightfully so. I had a big ego, um, and, and I had millions of people fueling my ego. Um, but at the same time, there's this very gentle, compassionate, uh, humble side of me that has always been in service my whole life and have always been connected to people. And I love people. I love being around people. And so I donated my time and my energy to causes. 
that that really meant something to me. And I think that has a lot to do with my upbringing because my mom's in, um, instilled till this day, bless her heart, she's a nursery school teacher. And so I grew up around that nursery school and being around kids. And so I have a very, very, very soft place in my heart for children, um, especially the little ones. And so I... I have always, ever since I became, you know, a reality star and famous, I've always donated my time to causes. Um, and I always take care of my friends. I mean, my friends that were in college, dude, summer would come around and I would be like, you guys aren't working. Like, don't even think about getting a job because we're going to rollerblade all over New York City all summer. And we have to go out to at least four clubs a night like and go to all these events and fashion shows and do all of these things so and I'm not doing them alone so of course I'm going to do it with my friends and my family and you have the money so, to pay for everyone yeah so everybody came along for the ride it was like about you know entourage wait i have another question is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? For me, listen, I love being the host of the Behind the Velvet Rope podcast, but bringing you guys five shows a week, tracking down the top Bravo celebrities to bring you new creative content every day, that causes me stress. It causes me anxiety. I'm not even going to get into the lack of sleep or lack of a relationship. So I needed somewhere to turn. And for me, I turned to BetterHelp. I love BetterHelp because it's professional counseling right from the comfort of your own home. What they do is they match you with a licensed therapist who's a professional that fits your needs and the things that you want to talk about. So you may not have the same issues as I do. They also deal with LGBTQIA issues anger, grief, trauma. If you are having relationship issues, if you're in a relationship, good for you. I'm not. They really deal with everything and everything you share is confidential. So I cannot stress how much because of this job that I love so much, it has caused me some issues and better help really is a lifesaver. Right now, if you guys also want to start living a happier life, as a listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash velvet rope. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Velvet Rope. And as a listener, you guys get 10% off your first month. Try it. I promise you, you are going to feel so much better once you talk to one of their licensed professional counselors. And listen, so many people have been using BetterHelp. They're actually recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. DM me. Let me know how it goes. This has been a lifesaver for me. That's it. That's yeah. And then, so the grind lasted for 2003. Is that right? It lasted a while, didn't it? Three, three years, I was the host of the grind, and the grind workout videos lasted about five years. Right. So all together. So that was like a busy time for you. Oh, yeah. Big time. Making tons of money, going out, drugs, women believing the hype and then you so then the challenge all the challenges yep. kind of fell that kind of came next that kind of fell into your 
laugh. Yep. Uh, yeah, I hosted the very first challenge with Mark. Um, and then I was, I, 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 I was jealous because of how much fun everybody was having. And I was the host and I wanted to do what everybody was doing because I'm like an extreme athlete or at the time I was. And I was like, so the next one that came around, they actually gave me the option. They were like, you, do you want to host it or do you want to be in it? I probably should have kept hosting it because I probably would have been the host for the next 20 years of my life. And that would have been a great paycheck. Um, but I, um, I loved the, I loved competition and it was exciting to be in it. And so I chose to, to compete. The hosting gig is probably would have been a great gig for all those years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then were you still living like the fast lifestyle through all of that? Like, I mean, when you weren't no. on the show. No, I crashed and burned. Like when did that um, happen? Well, I had, the, I had a manager that came into my life when I was at the height of my career. Um, and I had, um, I had a deal with Universal Studios to do my own talk show. I had moved to Los Angeles and I got, was starting to get into acting. And I did a couple of cameos in some films, The Brady Bunch and um, Above the Rim. And the, all of the big Hollywood producers and directors were, you know, the doors were open. And so I started to take acting classes. And then this manager came into my life. Um, who, long story short, basically brainwashed me, manipulated me, um, and influenced me, and then ultimately would molest me. And my career would dive deep. And I went into a very, very dark place and um, almost committed suicide. And um, my uh, the drug use uh, was was heavily affecting me. Uh, and I was, I was lost and confused and needed help. And, um, that's when I met my first teacher, my grandmaster, grandmaster Makdam, who was a eighth generation, um, grandmaster of Chinese medicine and acupuncture and a 21 den black belt in three different martial arts and a very, very powerful healer. And um, I would live for the next seven years of my life off and on with him and his family, traveling back and forth from my loft in New York City uh, out to California, to Los Gatos, California, and training with him in meditation, martial arts, um, herbal medicine, and you know, different modalities of Eastern philosophy. So when this manager came in, like that was at like during these movies, like Brady Bunch, like it was just, and this manager, that was just his MO or he just, yeah, like he just went. He was a predator. And like he was a, a predator, predator financially yeah, and a, sexually. Yes. And Actually, what's interesting is which a lot of people know are aware of now, and it's publicly known throughout social media, um, is about the Illuminati and the New World Order 
and these secret societies that exist in the world that are controlling the world, which a lot of people talk about now. But I learned about all of this when I was 22 years old. So I spent six months in the library in New York and walking around New York City and Washington, D.C., looking at all the symbolism and the layout and the structure of the system that we live in here on planet Earth. And when, no, I mean, that's, and this, and when this was all, so before that, when this was all happening, no, 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 I mean, I want to get there, but like, you couldn't I know. tell. I'm with you. I'm with no, you. No, I mean, you couldn't tell this was happening either financially or sexually. Like, you just couldn't see this is where this was going. I mean, I just think, no. like, really? I was brainwashed because I know this is going to, this is a little, we're, we're going, we're going there now, but I'm actually working on a documentary and I'm writing a book about all this. So it's all going to Listen, it's all, listen, I wouldn't have reached out to you if I didn't think, you know, I, I, I didn't think any of this was interesting. Yeah. So basically what happened was this guy came into my life. He knew my heart and he knew exactly what strings to pull. And he said to me, these are his exact words that there is this evil system that's in place and these secret societies called the Illuminati that are controlling the planet and that you are the, a, a chosen one and that I have to share this information with you for your future um, because of what you're going to do in the future and you have a, re a big responsibility to the children of this planet. And so, like I said to you earlier, I've always felt that since I was a little boy. And so it was almost, it was like this guy was sent to me with information for a specific purpose. And, and, he, and he pulled me down into a very, very dark place. And, it, and that moment when I was ready to take my life was because of what he was doing to me. And I sat, I was standing on the Hudson River in Weehawken, New Jersey, looking at the Viacom building, who owns MTV, lost and confused, feeling like I had no way out with, a, with my grandfather's knife on my wrist, ready to take my life. And I carved into the tree uh, where I was standing a heart and I wrote in the middle of the heart, set me free. And in that moment, uh, it was a summer night. It was really warm out and there were no clouds in the sky. And um, this, one, this little small cloud started coming down the river and it caught my attention in that moment. And I looked up at it and I heard this voice in my head say, just go home, just go home. It was like telling me, just go home. Like, don't do this. I go home. And so I walked back to my apartment where my friends were and the manager in my apartment on the river. And I packed up all of my things and I went home. And this is at the same time when I walked away from the grind. I, I walked away from the grind. I didn't get fired from the grind. So the grind was massive. We were in 90 million views, uh, homes around the world. And the grind workout was like the number two and three best-selling videos on the billboard charts at that time. But what I would find out many, many years later 
doing ayahuasca in the jungle of Peru that if that man didn't come into my life and do that to me, that I, I would be dead because of my self-destructive behavior. And the reason why I had this self-destructive behavior was because of the traumas from my childhood. Okay. Do you want to, <laughs> do you want to tell us what those were? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, my, so my brother, who was four years older than me, was like the stud of the town. Beautiful, beautiful boy. Um, and an incredible athlete and very strong and much bigger than me. Um, and I idolized him. He was my hero. And I loved him so much. I wanted to be him. I wanted to be wherever he was. I wanted to wear the clothes he was wearing. I wanted to hang out with his friends. And my mom would force him to take me wherever he went. And because I loved him so much, and we, we figured this out later on through all of our healing and spiritual work, that he couldn't handle how much I loved him. My love for him was so strong and so deep that he didn't know what to do with it. And so he hurt me and he would tease me and he would bully me and make fun of me. Um, but at the same time, he was also my protector. So I could do whatever I wanted to do in my town because everybody knew that my brother was John and he would beat him up. So um, that trauma that I experienced for 16 years of my life with him um, made a huge impact in my subconscious mind. And I would, I suppress those emotions. Um, uh, my father was an alcoholic. Um, he left when I was 11. So I didn't have a father in my life. Um, and we all know how that goes. And um, I never had one real conversation with my father ever. So I was a wild child with a lot of energy, with good looks, and getting a lot of attention. And I was also like, you know, an amazing athlete. So, um, I excelled in every single sport. So I was like the, the jock, the good looking jock, you know, that could get whatever he wanted. So even before the celebrity right. thing happened, I was already getting that attention. This just magnified it by 10,000. Totally. Um, and then when I was 13 years old, I was raped by a woman and I lost my virginity. So my innocence was stolen from me when I was 13. Um, then I would get into drugs later on because of all of that. And then the manager thing would happen when I was 22 years old. So yeah, I was confused and I was lost and I was in a lot of pain. And, um, you know, I, I put on a really good mask and, you know, pretended like everything was great. But the people that were the closest to me, my family and my best friends, they obviously knew that, you know, I was danger and I was, I was dangerous to myself. And, um, you know, I had nicknames for it. My friends called me the Jackal because when I would drink too much or get, you know, wasted, I would turn into a completely different person. And that other side of the Gemini, you know, would come out. But what's amazing is that the tabloids never, ever, ever once saw anything. This news, this information never came out. That was never like on page six, you know, for like almost having an overdose, which I've had like almost three of them. 
And MTV so. never, like, when you went to work, it was just you never came in, like, drugged out, hungover. That just was totally, you turned it on for the grind, like, no one knew. David, I had this superpower <laughs> where I, I could be, it. yeah, you know, like, I could use the night before. But I was also the guy who was into health and fitness. So we would all go out and we would party and everybody would be tweaked out. And I would wake up in the morning and I would go get green juices and go sit in a sauna for an hour and a half and go work out and eat healthy. So I was right. like the healthy, the healthy drug addict. Yeah. Right. Which that helps hide it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, so when this, you, when you went and packed your stuff and went home, like that was the turning point, like that. Hudson was the low point, like that was it, or and then you yeah, that, I mean, yeah, that was pretty. That was that was the the lowest. That was the one of the darkest places that I've been in because my family couldn't touch me, you know, like they couldn't even hold me, and that had went on for a couple of weeks, um, where it was really devastating. And then I realized I was like, I need to get out of here, so I went to Colorado, <laughs> um, and I went snowboarding for a month by myself and stayed with this couple. And while three weeks while, into the third week while I was in there, my sister calls me up and she was like, um, you're doing really well selling your, your workout videos internationally. And I, oh, oh, and by the way, so my manager stole everything from me. So I lost like a quarter of a million dollars and my job with MTV and everything was gone. And, um, so I was broke. And then my sister called me and said, you're selling a lot of videos internationally because a check just came in the mail for $110,000. And I was like, that's impossible. There's no way that we sold that many videos internationally because I knew the distribution. And um, she said, well, let me call them and find out like what this is all about. So she calls up MTV and MTV, MTV made a $100,000 mistake. Wow. And they added an extra zero to my check because Sony was the distributor of my videos. So they would send over the information to MTV, then MTV would cut the check. And so all of a sudden I went from zero back to like $110,000. And then I bought this, I got a loft in New York city and I started my own, my own company where I was going to produce my own workout videos. And me and my brother created this abdominal device we started an independent record label. Um, and so I, and I went out and got investors. And so I revived myself. Did you ever regret leaving the grind? Like before you got this $110,000 check? Yeah. No, I don't have any regrets because spiritually it all happened exactly the way that it was meant to be. So this, and this check was kind of like a, someone's looking out for you, so to speak. Yeah, a hundred percent. It was like my angels were around me the whole time while that was happening with the manager. And I felt totally supported, you know, from like the angelic realms throughout this whole process. Um, but it would all become a lot clearer later on in my life. So you now have this with your brother. How do you go from there? So when like, how did you go from there to this whole spiritual journey? I mean, it was kind of happening, I guess, a little bit at the time. Yeah. So my grandmaster, 
who I lived with, his mom was the queen of the mountain people of Vietnam. And he was going, he was the king essentially. And when the communists came into Vietnam and took over Vietnam, they, um, they captured his family. His family was the, was the, was the, the, the royal family. They were like, um, you know, for 5,000 years in Vietnam, all of the kings and queens of Vietnam, my grandmaster was, was going to be the next king of Vietnam. So he was trained since he was two years old by the greatest martial arts masters and herbalists and minds of Vietnam. So when the communists came, they captured him and his family. And about a few months before they came, they started hiding all of the artifacts that were passed down for thousands of years in caves and, and underground and whatever. And the mom said, no matter what happens, do not give them the secrets of our kingdom, like the ancient text, even if they threatened to kill me. And so that's what happened. They murdered his mom in front of him and his brothers and they tortured him and his brothers for almost a year trying to get all of that information. And he knew that he was going to die there if he didn't escape. And so he escaped. Um, he healed himself in the jungle because of his knowledge of, of medicine and herbs and acupuncture and, you know, moving chi energy around and all that kind of stuff. Um, he escaped, came to California and uh, started working, made money, and then went back to Vietnam and saved his brothers. And then I would find out later on that I had past life experiences with him and that he knew who I was, he knew why I was here, and he knew what my future was here on this planet. And he started telling me about everything that's happening on this planet, why it's happening, um, and so I lived and I trained with him for, for many years and he just recently passed like six months ago. And then did everything make sense? Like, a, you know, is that kind of when the light went on for you and you started training with him? Yeah, it started, to, it started to come on with him, but because I am stubborn and I do, and I had all of these suppressed emotions, um, that I was holding down in, inside of me. And it was very difficult for me to trust people. Um, I started to, to kind of butt heads with him because he was this very, you know, old school disciplinarian, martial art grandmaster. Um, and he um, was what well, he didn't think he was, but he was abusive. And he was not only abusive to me, but he was abusive to his kids and he was abusive to his wife. And so they were like my, my brother, I was like an older brother to his kids. And I was like the, you know, the son, the new son in the family and the family and everybody looked at me as like, I was going to be like the next master. Cause he was going to share all of his knowledge with me. Um, and so, yeah, it was a really interesting time uh, of my life, but it wouldn't be until when I left him that I started going out into the desert and doing long fasts and long meditations. Um, and then working with, with later on with plant medicines like ayahuasca and mushrooms and connecting with indigenous elders and grandmothers and grandfathers 
um, where everything would really start to, to make sense. That makes sense. I mean, and so fame is such an addictive drug. Did you ever have the like, I miss the fame or the limelight? And, and would you have if you didn't kind of like set on this path? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, would you have missed it more if you didn't go down this enlightened path and you were just, I, I don't know. Yeah, well, I've always stayed, I've, I'm, I mean, until this day, I still have a relationship and a connection to the entertainment industry. But I, 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 so in the early 90s, there was a website that doesn't exist anymore. And it was called Kill, it was when the internet first came up. It was called KillYourTV.com. And it was an explanation of programming, of television programming and the entertainment industry in a whole. You know, why they created it, who created it, who was involved in the creation of it. So my personal relationship with the entertainment industry dramatically changed by knowing that information. So. I was hesitant to be a part of it. And also because of the way that I was treated with MTV, I realized that I was just a number. I wasn't a name. I wasn't, I didn't, you know, I wasn't like Eric Neese with a heart and a central nervous system and emotions and feelings. I was just a number on a spreadsheet. Yeah. And that's the reality of it. You know, like you're yeah. just feeding their, you're feeding their machine. And, um, so that information along with the information about the Illuminati and the new world order, um, yeah, that threw me into a little bit of a tailspin and, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin working for, for these people. And even, even though most of those people don't even really understand and know who they're working for. So, um, yeah, Grandmaster brought a lot of that to light for me. Um, and I would stay in the business and do some things along the way, but I wanted to, I wanted to produce my own show. I wanted to produce and do a transformational show of healing, you know, and share my my knowledge and understanding of of health and wellness you know and i tried to do that i you know i i i put maybe two or three different um sizzle reels together together and um and show ideas for transformation but they they didn't go they were close really but That's... it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't time yet I, i'm way ahead it's like i'm i'm like kind of that soul that's um like ahead of the game. And so like 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I walked into every network with a bottle of ayahuasca and said, you know, there's some things that are going on around the world that are happening in jungles and, and places with these plant medicines. And wouldn't this be awesome to do a show on transformation and take five people and bring them down into the jungle, people that are suffering from diabetes and cancer and you know aids and all these things because they get cured in the jungle with ayahuasca and different plant medicines and so i've i've known about that stuff for a long time and i've always wanted to do a tv show like that but you know 
walking into an executive's office with a bottle of ayahuasca talking about shamans in the jungle 12 years ago was, you know, they couldn't see it yet. They're just like, we, we just don't see this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And but one, it's coming. It's coming, it's coming, right? One of the things yeah. you did was 2009 Confessions of a Teen Idol, which is a show that I actually watched. Uh-huh. Which was, I mean, that kind of dealt with some of these issues. Like, you know, a bunch of people who, like, the fame kind of faded for them. But I think right. most of them were just trying to get back into the business. And yeah. Yeah, that was another show because they 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 were courting me for three months before that show, telling me that it was going to be one thing. And I was like, I don't trust you. I, I don't trust you. Like, I know that this is going to be scripted and I know you're going to control everything and you're going to paint this picture, you know, about these guys that, you know, are lost without fame and you're going to have us do all these, you know, ridiculous things. And they're like, no, 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 that's not what it's going to be. That's not what it's going to be. And so if you remember, I walked off the show. Remember that? Yeah. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. But as soon as I got onto the show, I was like, this is not what you told me it was going to be. And I started battling with Scott Bayo and the other guy from the Wonder Years. And um, finally, it's funny because there was a producer that was working on the show that I knew from back in the days of the real world. And we're somewhere inside the set and she kind of, she comes over to me and she like bumps me in the shoulder and she goes, I can't believe that they hired you for this. And I said, why? And she goes, because you know too much. You know too much. You know, you know how this works. And of course this was going to happen. And I was like, well, yeah, I knew it was going to happen. So yeah, I mean, all these shows, you have to sign these confidentiality agreements and you're not allowed to talk to anybody about anything that happens on the show. And all of these reality shows that people are watching, they actually think that they're real and they're totally scripted and they tell people what to say and they create situations and it's all just, yeah, it's fake. It's all fake. Like, do you, I mean, are you shocked at like the state of reality TV today? No, because the people that run the networks are control freaks. They feed off of control. Yes. They feed. Yeah. Completely. And it it's works. not their fault. No. Yeah. But it's not, it's not their fault. That's the system. That's, that's the system. You have to control everything because you're dealing with millions and millions of dollars. You know, I don't, I, it's, I don't, I don't have any negative feelings about them and what they do. I actually have empathy and compassion for what they do because I know that all souls on the planet are suffering. Everybody. Nobody, nobody's walking on the planet, a liberated ascended master. (laughs) That makes sense. So that's why you have compassion and it works because they control, but yet people sign their lives away because they will do anything for fame. For attention. And attention that if you because don't want they this, probably, the line uh-huh. is at the door of the next person. Yeah, and they want the attention because they probably didn't get the attention that they deserved from their mother and their father when they were children. I mean, that's this right. is the work that I do now. Like I, that's the work that I do now. I assist people in healing traumas from their childhood. That's what you're because I know now you have your 
I know you have either private individual retreats, guided cleanses, phone screenings, and yeah. it's all it's all dealing with like childhood traumas. Yeah, I, I work with and I work and I assist people in evolving through their ancestral lineage programming. So I work with people to help them to understand why they behave the way that they behave and why they react the way that they react and why they keep creating the same situations in their life over and over and over again. And, and I help them to understand that this was passed down from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. So I assist them in going in to those places where the programs started and help them to deprogram their subconscious mind so they can create the life that their heart desires. I mean, that makes sense to me, actually. Because, I mean, you're a product of your parents and they're a product of their parents. Yeah. And so yeah, on. Pe- mm-hmm. And people, I think, a lot of times are not in tune with what they really want. Like, if you really break it down... I mean, well, that's to come full circle. That's to your point, because of Corona, I mean, you would think that people would take this time to get in touch with like everything is stripped away, materialistic and just kind of like, it's just you and your loved ones yeah. or whoever you're with. And like, what do you really want out of this life? Right. right. I mean, I, I would think. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, this is just the beginning of Corona. It's not going anywhere. There's going to be, you know, the mutation and waves that are going to happen. So we, we, we will all have plenty of more time to be sent to our homes for time out to work out all of our issues with our loved ones. That I believe is true also. Do you, <laughs> do you, do you get a lot of people coming to you? Like, do people come to you and they're like, oh my God, that's Eric from the real world? Or are people just so far removed from that when they come to you for help? Yeah, no, they're, yeah, they're actually shocked when they find out that I am Eric from the real world and they didn't know that. Well, it's a long way from there. If you turn on yeah. the TV today on MTV, you would never think yep. that, you know? Like, if I yep. wasn't in the know, I would be like, I would never make that connection. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it happens. People are shocked. Yeah. And do you get, where do you get most of your, like they just, it's word of mouth or they just, I mean, I know you have a website, but it's it's word of mouth. Yeah, it's word of mouth. Like one person will have an experience with me and then they share it with somebody else. Yeah. And you love what you do now. Oh my God. It's amazing. It's It's the most beautiful thing that I could ever imagine you know, to see and observe and experience somebody being in a very, very dark place and watching them, you know, crawl and, and, and claw and squirm out of there up towards the light. And then when the light goes back, when the light goes on in their eyes and they cry and they're able to, you know, go into those vulnerable places and release all of that, you know, pain that they're going through. It's amazing. It lights my, it lights me up. I love it. Would you ever go back to the entertainment world? Yeah, if it was the right, the right vehicle. If it was, if it was related a vehicle, to this. 
yeah, if it was a vehicle that could, that could promote healing and transformation and the evolution of a soul, of course. Yeah. Well, maybe with all of this, like that's where reality TV, I mean, do you think reality TV would ever like kind of head in that direction and just kind of bottom out? Like, and do you watch anything now? Do you watch any reality TV? Um, not really. The only time that I watch it is if I'm with fan, like my niece and my sister and they, they like the shows. And so I'll watch them with them and I get, and, and I get pulled in obviously. Do like, they I watch just, anything you know, in particular or? Um, they Are love they, the bachelor. It's a good one. Yeah. They watch the bachelor. Um, I think that's really the only one. I like, there's a show when, when COVID happened, right. And we're all in like, quarantine and stuff um a friend of mine suggested i mean it's not a reality show but i don't watch tv i don't even have one i haven't i haven't i haven't owned a tv in, in many 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 years that doesn't um, shock me that's what i would have guessed yeah, <laughs> yeah um but a friend of mine was like oh my god have, have um did you see the episode of billions like the other night they were talking about ayahuasca and i was like what's billions and they told me what it was and there was like, yeah, there was like an episode, second, second episode in season five where they do, you know, ayahuasca. And, um, and I was like, oh, well, I got to watch it from the beginning. So I went on the binge of the billions. And I think in two weeks, I watched all five, all five seasons to finally get to the ayahuasca. This is so funny to get to the ayahuasca part. And I'm watching it. And the shaman, <laughs> the shaman in the show is a friend of mine who was like a doorman at a club that I used to go to in New York 25 years ago. I mean, like, what is the that's chance crazy. of that? <laughs> that's like, that's crazy. That's like a total yeah. New York Hollywood story. Right. And I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, I'm like, oh, my God, that's Henri. And I started laughing hysterically. And then I was like, yes, that was like, you know, universal, um, you know, serendipity. <laughs> it's like full circle. And does your, yeah. niece, does your niece who watches The Bachelor know that you're in the television hall of fame as one of the pioneers of reality TV? Oh, of course. She's my biggest, she's, she's my biggest fan, but it's not because of that. Right. We, we have a very, a very special connection because of things that she, that happened to her in her life and traumas that happened to her in her life. And I, and I helped her to, to get out of it. And she's amazing. She's a, she's a singer actually. Oh, wow. And she writes beautiful music and she, she draws her inspiration comes from the darkest places in her life. So she creates her music from the work that we have done together she found the strength and the courage to go back into those really dark places and, and, and write and create her music from those places. Yeah. She's a, she's a really powerful little being. That's awesome. And I know you said you wouldn't change anything and you're, you have no regrets. I think it's kind of what you said, but do you yeah. see any like, I mean, so I guess overall, like do you see positives and negatives in reality TV or I mean, is there, I mean, not even your experience, just like in the 
bigger sense yeah. of the word or is there any positive or is it all just a corporate machine? No, like I said, I have my perception of the world is much different now and I don't see really things as positive or negative, but I do see dark and light. Um, you know, there is darkness and there is light. Obviously we live on a planet of duality where we have the free will to choose. Do we want to go down the road of love or do we want to go down the road of fear? And what's interesting about that is that when I did the, when I did the real world, of course, I'm like curious, George, I carried a curious George around with me my whole childhood. So I'm always, I've always been very, very curious person. And I always ask why. That's why I looked into the inception of entertainment. And so, of course, I'm going to question, well, why am I on the very first reality show? And what does that mean to me? And what does it mean to, to the world? And what I came up with was that we're tired of being lied to. We're all tired of lies. We're exhausted with you know, secrets and deception and, um, you know, being in relationships with people that are fake, you know, being in relationships with people that have them that pretend to be something that they're not. And so it's time for the mask to come off and for the truth to be revealed and so the real world and reality TV and social media and Facebook and Instagram and all of these, these, these um, outlets that we have are exposing the truth of everybody. Now, all you need is a cell phone to act out. Interesting. And I've been there. You know what I mean? Like I've been there, you know, I've been super famous. I've, I've hung out and around the elites. And the wealthy, you know, the jet setters, you know, like I lived that life, but I've also been in the jungles with the shamans. Right. And, and, and I have elders and grandmothers and grandfathers that I'm connected to where I, 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 I understand their spiritual wisdom and their prophecies. So yeah, I'm that guy. You really need to write a book about your life next. Cause <laughs> I, I just wrote a book and that's, I'm finished. Oh, I, you need to write a book. It's like kind of about you. You need to write a book, because I mean, yeah, I'm you've had on. these two. You listen. You won't. Most people don't think you're on reality and being mobbed in a mall, and then like you're in the jungle and chanting with the mob. Like it's just you've seen a lot. So yeah, I think you need to write a book. Yeah, I'm Any, working on it. <laughs> anything else you want to leave us with before we go? I mean, those are all. Um. No, just a big hug. And a whole lot of love and, you know, whoever's watching and listening, you know, I love you and I see you and I understand who you are and why you're here and what you're going through. And my advice would to be just be gentle with yourselves, you know, be really kind and gentle with yourselves and hug yourself and love yourself. And when you look in the mirror, tell yourself how amazing you are and how beautiful you are. Um, and if, uh, if there's anything, uh, that I can share with you, don't hesitate. You know, you can reach out to me. I'm I'm open and available online. Very easy to find. Where can, and where can people find you on Instagram? 
Um, is that the nice dot, Yeah, Eric. Or your and website. Then, uh, yeah, or my website, ericneese.com. And you can send me a, a personal you know, email through there. Thank you, David. Eric, thank you. Thank you very much. Words of wisdom. Thank you for taking us on your journey. I really appreciate it. Yeah, let's do it again when the time is right. We will. We'll do like an update. Okay. So thank you so much. I'll like send you a DM. Thank you. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. See you later. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're behind the Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.